I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal versus Newcastle in the Premier League. One of the most anticipated games of this midweek round of fixtures. There's no question about that. First against third in the Premier League, two teams that are flying high at the top of the Premier League table and two teams who uh, I think have exceeded most people's expectations so far. I, for one, am really, really looking forward to this. I sat down earlier this afternoon and began to sort of pull my notes together for this preview show. And once I started doing that, the excitement and the anticipation around this game really started to build for me. Now, people say, um, you know, people say, well, you know, it's one of those uh, games on paper that looks great, but they rarely deliver, don't they? Um but I think this is going to be a really, really good encounter. Uh, bear with me a second, guys. I can see some of you are saying that the video is not coming through. One second. Let me just refresh. Stay where you are. Don't go anywhere. One second. One second. Because. Okay. How's about that? Is that better? Let me know. Let me know in the comments if that's any better. Um, what I think it was, was that the internet connection just dipped to a really low level uh, at that point. So I've just refreshed it. I've just come back. Can you see me? Some people saying, uh, yes, that's better. Back. Yes. All good now. Cheers, Harry. Sorry about that. Not the start that I wanted to the show, but here we go. Anyway, look, as I was saying, I sat down and, you know, started to pull my notes together, looking ahead to this game and, you know, Although people look at this type of fixture quite often and say, well, you know, this is one of those that on paper looks good, but probably will end up being quite cagey. I really don't think this is the case here. I really don't. I think this is a game between two really exciting teams, two teams that love to play on the front foot, two teams that actually probably right now don't know how to play any other way. And so fireworks are expected at Emirates Stadium under the lights. Tuesday night. Can Arsenal do it on a cold Tuesday night? Newcastle having to make a long trip down, of course, uh, from the northeast uh, down to Emirates Stadium. They're going to come in their numbers. Newcastle always do. You know, they've got incredible support. And although, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the takeover and there's been a lot of talk about the people that have taken control of Newcastle United and, you know, some of the issues that people associate with Saudi Arabia and, and all of that stuff has kind of overshadowed the takeover or certainly did in the beginning. But I think from my perspective, listen, all those issues are serious issues. And, you know, I, I don't know enough about them to go into them in a lot of detail. But putting all of that to one side for a minute, I don't think there's a group of supporters, you know, outside of our own, obviously, that deserve to see their team, you know, moving in the right direction again, more than those guys. They're so loyal they're so incredibly fond of their club. They adore their football club. And to see the way it went under Mike Ashley, I think even for me as a non-Newcastle fan, looking at it, it, it was hard to take. You know, it was it, it was heartbreaking. And now, you know, they're back on track. They're, they're moving brilliantly. Eddie Howe's done a fantastic job. And I really do wish them all the best, just not tomorrow. Uh, I really don't want them to get anything tomorrow, obviously. But look, I mentioned two really attack-minded sides. 
72 Premier League goals between these two sides so far this season, which is remarkable. Um, you know, it just goes to show what, you know, what an improvement there's been on Newcastle's part, but also on our part as well. This is an opportunity for Arsenal ahead of Manchester City's trip to Chelsea on Thursday to open up a 10-point lead at the top over Pep Guardiola's side. Now, I know we've got to play them twice, so you could potentially take six points out of that. You know, they could potentially earn six points against us. They are good enough to come and win at the Emirates, and they're certainly good enough to beat us at the Etihad, as recent seasons have told us. This is a, a much bigger game, not because of, you know, where... Newcastle are as well. Obviously, that's important and obviously that factors in. But I'll say it again. I've said this many, many times over the years. Uh, sorry, over the past few months. I don't think that Newcastle are going to sustain their current league position. I don't think Newcastle are going to finish in the top four. I think they can do it. Of course they can. Of course it's possible. But I just don't see it. I think that they will fall away. And so I don't think that this result will have a massive knock-on effect or a massive long-term effect on Arsenal. Um, you know, moving forward. But I do think the significance of being able to move 10 points clear of City, even if they can then go to Chelsea on Thursday and reduce that back down to seven, I think is massive. I think it's massive. And I think psychologically, it would be such a big win for Arsenal that I'm desperate, absolutely desperate for us to get it. I've seen some Arsenal fans online saying, you know what, given how well Newcastle are playing, given that we won at Brighton, given that we're flying high and, and we've, you know, very infrequently been below par and, and it's not that often that you see Arsenal struggle and suffer. Actually, we we might be okay with a draw here. I don't see it like that. I think this, with a home game, I think you need to win it or you at least need to set out to try and win it. I'm sure Arsenal will do that. But yeah, um, you know, for me, just that significance of being able to open up a potentially 10-point lead is is massive. It is huge. and um, And I can't wait to see if we can do it. You know, as I say, under the lights at Emirates Stadium, the atmosphere will be absolutely buzzing, I'm sure. Um, you know, after Arsenal went to Brighton the other day, it absolutely blew them away on their own patch. To now return in front of your home fans just a few days later, there's a lot of exciting rumours floating around with regards to the transfer market and what Arsenal may uh, be able to do between now and the January window closing. Of course, the window is open now. It is the 2nd of January. It opened yesterday officially. So, um, yeah, I think it's a real exciting time to be an Arsenal fan. And obviously with every win and with every good performance, you feel that little tiny bit more confident that we can actually go the distance. Maybe we won't win it, but we can be in this title race for the remainder of the season. And that in itself is huge progress. Because if you start off the season aiming for Champions League football, if you achieve that, you're happy with that. But then to go beyond that potentially and be right in the mix and, and push Manchester City all the way, I think is massive in itself. Now, if we were to go until the latter stages of the season, right in the title race, and then we ended up, you know, falling away or, or, or being pipped to the crown by Pep Guardiola's side, of course, it'll be gut-wrenching. Of course, it'll be heartbreaking. But I think when the dust then settles, you will look back at this season and say, wow, Arsenal were ahead of schedule. Arsenal were way better than I ever thought they could be at the start of the campaign. And I was having this conversation with uh, with a friend of mine yesterday because we were talking about the Premier League title race. We were talking about the top four race. We were talking about the fact that so many teams that seem to be in that race just keep sort of taking points of each, uh, you know, dropping points. And, 
Yeah, I mean, you look at Liverpool down in sixth, you look at Chelsea in eighth at the moment. And, you know, I remember when Leicester City won the league, people were saying, well, you know what, Leicester City, you know, they're a, they're, they're a good side, but they won the league largely because everybody else was below par. So what I wanted to do while we're live is take it back um, to the 2015-16 season, okay? So when Leicester uh, had played 16 games, let me go to match week 16. Bear with me a second. Leicester City had amassed at that point 35 points. Okay, 35 points. So if you take it to now, Arsenal are eight points better off at the same stage than Leicester were that season when they went on to win the league. Now, again, I'm not saying that that means we're definitely going to win the league. What I am saying is, is that Arsenal's position today is their position because they've earned it and they deserve it. You can talk about the teams around them not being very good. You can talk about the standard of the teams around them having dropped. But ultimately, Arsenal are where they are and sit at the time of recording seven points clear at the top of the Premier League because they've won 14 of their 16 games, drawing one and losing one, having scored 40 goals. That's why Arsenal are where they are. It's not about what's going on around us. That might be helping. That might be why we have the lead that we do at present. But don't take anything away from Arsenal because Arsenal have been superb so far. And look, Newcastle are a great side. And I'm going to come on to talk about the problems I think they'll cause us and the issues that I think we need to be aware of. But we should be going into this game confident. We should be going into this game in front of our own fans, feeling as though we can add another three points to that tally and continue moving forward ahead of obviously the FA Cup weekend, but then trips to Spurs and then the visit of Manchester United. So, yeah. Okay, uh, let me name you guys the 11 I would like to see uh, Mikel Arteta pick. And, and there's a reason for this because I want to talk about, um, you know, how I think this might play into what I believe the issues might be for Arsenal facing against the Newcastle side. So my Arsenal side, it picks itself. Um, I'll just bring it up on the screen. Bear with me one second. I'm not very organized today. Didn't check the internet connection before I went live. Haven't got this ready. Here we go. So my 11 to face Newcastle FC is Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko, Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Saka and Ketiak Martinelli. So exactly the same side that started against Brighton. I think that is Arsenal's best team with the exception of Gabriel Jesus missing, which obviously can't be helped. So that's where I am. That's what I think we should do. But there are a couple of bits and pieces that worry me a little bit about this Newcastle side. So I had a quick glance at their team that played Leeds United um, at the weekend. Uh, and I've had a look at their team uh, throughout the duration of the last few weeks, because obviously they've been going really, really well. Disappointing result for them against Leeds the other day. It doesn't take away from the fact that they've been a really, really good side. And the the part of the pitch that I'm a little bit worried about is Newcastle United's right, Arsenal's left. Now, if you cast your mind back to the Brighton game, I thought Arsenal struggled at times to live with Brighton down our left-hand side in the first half. In the second half, it changed. In the second half, Brighton's threat came down their left-hand side, our right-hand side, largely through Karu Mitoma, who I thought was very, very good. But Arsenal when Zinchenko plays, do have a little bit of a defensive weakness there. Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Ukrainian. I think he is a fantastic player. 
I think he was a cracking signing. He could go on to be one of the signings of the season, not just because of what he does on the pitch, but because the influence he clearly has off of it, the winning mentality that he's brought to the picture. Um, you know, the way he's almost like a, a, an additional cheerleader, isn't he? He does such a good job of all that side of things as well. And I think that's partly why Mikel Arteta loves him and probably wanted to get him to the club so much. But defensively, there are question marks over the Ukrainian. You know, I've said this to you guys before, and I'll say it again. You won't be surprised to hear me say this. I believe that Kieran Tierney is a better defender than Alexander Zinchenko. But what Zinchenko has brought to the team, uh, you know, since his arrival is a leadership. He's brought the ability to step into midfield and help us dominate in that way. He's brought a game intelligence that I'm not being critical of Tierney, but I just don't think he has. He's brought a technical ability that I'm not sure that Kieran Tierney has for all of his qualities. But there's no question about it. Whenever we come up against anybody half decent and we're not able to be as dominant on the ball as we'd like to be, i.e. against Brighton the other day, you do see Zinchenko put to the test. You do see teams target him. You do see teams look to take advantage of his defensive weakness, shall we say. And what that then does, I think, is it really increases the pressure on Gabriel on the left side of the central defence to come over quicker, to come over that little bit earlier, just to help him out and to try and help protect those spaces in behind Alexander Zinchenko. Newcastle's right side is the side on which both Kieran Trippier, who we've all seen for years and years, get forward to incredible effect, put beautiful deliveries into the box. He's a real set-piece threat as well. He will get forward down that right-hand side. But they also have Miguel Almiron, who has been their star man this season, without a shadow of a doubt. He will be coming down that side as well. Obviously, a left-footed player who very often wants to cut inside uh, from that right-hand side. We're going to have to be aware of that space as well. But when I look at sort of, you know, the statistics going into this game, Miguel Almiron has scored more Premier League goals than anybody involved in this fixture. He has got nine in the league. He is a big, big goal threat. So Almiron and Trippier coming down that right side, it does worry me a little bit because what it might do is it might mean that Xhaka has to come over to the left a little bit. It might mean that Zinchenko can't tuck in field as much as he normally would. And then that kind of impacts our game. Now, people will say, look, we're Arsenal, we're top of the league, we play in a certain way, we've done it to incredible effect, and here we are sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League. Why are we sitting here obsessing over what Newcastle might do and what threat Newcastle have? But the truth is, Newcastle have earned respect. They've earned the respect. They deserve the respect. It's impossible to look at this Newcastle side and be arrogant and and think, yeah, you know what, don't worry about what they intend to do. Don't worry about what they plan to do because we're that good and we're going to impose ourselves. Yes, in an ideal world, that will be the case. And for all the problems I'll highlight that we might have, I'm sure they'll be highlighting lots more issues, probably, that they're going to have to worry about and they're going to have to deal with. I'm hoping that Martinelli can pin Kieran Trippier back, that Eddie Howe instructs his fullback to be that little bit more conservative from fear of Gabby Martinelli getting in behind, because once he does, everybody knows there's no catching him. I'm sure that Newcastle will be aware of Granite Xhaka and Martin Odegaard's movements and the fact that they like to drift into those half spaces. I'm sure uh, that Newcastle will be, be aware of all of those things and will probably take steps to try and nullify us. But 
if there's one area in the park I'm a little bit worried about, it's that area on our left-hand side, Newcastle's right-hand side, where we're going to essentially see Miguel Almiron, nine Premier League goals so far this season. He's been in inspired form coming up against Alexander Zinchenko, who for all the qualities that he brings to the team, isn't for me the best defensive fullback. So that's where that's where I'm a little bit concerned. The other area that I kind of looked at and highlighted and, and feel is an area that's worth paying particular attention to is that area in between the lines of our midfield. Okay, we've all seen Thomas Partey drop into that hole, just that little bit deeper. Marshall, that area in front of the back four, we've seen the centre-halves get up and close to him uh, in order to kind of, you know, minimise that gap and try and stop teams getting in between those lines and exposing us. There is a player on the Newcastle United side who I expect to start that will get in between those lines, that will make those runs from midfield. I looked at a heat map of Newcastle's game against Leeds United and you won't be surprised. This player, Joe Willock, a player that we know all about as Arsenal fans, was the furthest player forward in terms of his average position even further forward than the centre forward, than the two wide forwards, despite his position on paper being in the centre of midfield. Joe Willock has always had that capability of making that run beyond forwards and getting into dangerous positions from which he can score. That's what Joe Willock has made a career out of. That's what we saw him do time and time again for Arsenal, albeit largely in the Europa League and in the Carabao Cup. But he went on loan to Newcastle. He was very, very good. They've since signed him and he's continued, I think, to perform to a really high level. He's continued to improve under Eddie Howe's management. And, you know, Partey's going to have to be aware of that. And we might have to take steps to help Partey deal with that. So, yes, Thomas Partey's incredibly dominant most of the time. And yes, he controls that area with relative ease. Most times he takes to the field of play. But there are threats in various different areas that Newcastle bring and we have to be alert to them and we have to be aware of them. Maybe in the defensive phase, Granit Xhaka is going to have to tuck in alongside Thomas Partey. You know, if we see that we're struggling to live with that threat, perhaps Xhaka will have to do that. Odegaard, we know, uh, can do that. Ben White likes to tuck in on that right-hand side and perhaps he will be able uh, to step in and help Thomas Partey defend that area in between the lines as well. But just looking at what Newcastle do, what they have done so well throughout the duration of the season so far, and looking at the way we play, those are the two areas for me that we do need to uh, be aware of and we do need to pay attention to. Uh, I've just seen Patrick in the chat say, Tommy must play left back. I mean, I'm assuming you're looking back at the way Mikel Arteta approached the most Salah threat against Liverpool. I think this is a bit different, right? So, first of all, I don't fear Newcastle in the way that I feared Liverpool going into that game. Um, obviously, Newcastle have gone on to have a better season so far, but I still think that Liverpool are a better team overall. And I think Mo Salah is in a different level, on a different level to, to Miguel Almiron. So, I don't think that Miguel Almiron's threat, as much as I've sort of played it up just then, warrants us changing personnel. I think it just needs a bit of additional thought. I think it just needs us to be that little bit more alert and it just needs us to pay that little bit more attention. As I say, I don't think it is something that would make me change my personnel. Also, I thought Tommy Asu Patrick was rubbish at Brighton. I thought he was really poor. I thought defensively he had an absolute shocker. I thought Tommy Asu did well 
against Liverpool in that isolated game. He played left back against Leeds not long after that, if I'm not mistaken. And I didn't think he was very good that day either. Um, so, yeah, let's let's see. But I, I don't expect Mikel Arteta to take that decision. Uh, not with Kieran Tierney and Alexander Zinchenko, both fit and available and both being, I think, in better form than Takahiro Tomiyasu, who looked way off the pace at Brighton. Was he match fit? Probably not. You know, I'm sure a lot of it is down to that. You know, he spoke about the need for a break after. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The World Cup, he went and had that. He's come back, but he doesn't look up to speed. That's that's the God's honest truth, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, those are kind of my sort of assessments. So I am worried about Newcastle's right side, our left side, how we deal with that, how we cope with that, whether that needs that little bit more uh, attention from uh, the team and, and from the staff remains to be seen. I'm sure Arsenal will be all over that. I'm sure Mikel Arteta will be all over that. Um, and then, of course, just making sure that we manage the runs in between the lines that we're inevitably going to get from Joe Willock and maybe even Joe Linton if he drops back into that midfield. He's played midfield quite a bit this season, but as an ex-centre forward has that tendency to, to drift into those areas. So we've got to be careful of those two things, I think. But having said that, you know, Martin Odegaard is in incredible form. Um, that pass that he played for Martinelli at the weekend, I've spoken about it time and time again. Absolutely stupendous pass. Unbelievable, beautiful stuff. Uh, Martinelli is always a threat. Eddie and Ketia has got two and two in the Premier League since coming in to replace Gabby Jesus. Uh, Thomas Partey and Xhaka marshal that midfield brilliantly. White has been inspired. Uh, Zinchenko, we know what he can do. Gabriel and Saliba, with the exception of a couple of moments for Saliba, have been relatively solid. They'll fear us way more than we fear them. And obviously the game is at home, which gives us the slight upper hand. Um, but yeah, let's see how we go. Let's see how we go. In terms of a prediction, I'm going to go for a 3-1 Arsenal win. I think we will score goals. I think Newcastle will probably nick one as well. Um, but I think this Arsenal side has got goals in it. And I think the players around the centre forward, your Odegaards, your Martinelli's, your Sackers, I think have all hit form at the right time to help us cope with the absence of one of our most important players in Jesus. So, you know, I'm confident that they can continue that. I'm not sure that we'll be able to keep Newcastle quiet or even if we can, great. But if we don't, I think we'll have enough firepower at the other end to cause them all sorts of problems and uh, and, and hopefully find a couple of goals, maybe even three goals and, um, and put this game to bed, add another three points to the tally and really, really pile the pressure onto Manchester City ahead of their trip to Chelsea later on. Uh, in the week. If you look at the last few meetings between the two sides, of course, uh, they beat us on Monday, the 16th of May at St. James's Park. A lot of people say that that was the game that saw us throw the top four away last season. I actually think we messed it up weeks before that when we played that run of three games. I think it was Palace, Brighton and Southampton. Uh, maybe in not that order, but it was certainly those three opponents. That was, for me, where it all came unstuck. We did beat them at the Emirates Stadium 2-0. Uh, last season. We won at St. James's Park the season before by two goals to nil. 
And uh, the two fixtures prior to that were home fixtures at Emirates Stadium on the 18th of January 2021 and the 16th of February 2020, 3-0 and 4-0 victories for the Gunners. But Newcastle are much better now. When you look at the form guide, Arsenal have won their last five in the Premier League. Wins at Brighton, at Wolves and Chelsea, uh, supplemented by home wins over West Ham United and Nottingham Forest. Newcastle haven't done too badly either. They've won four of their last five. They'd won uh, away at Southampton, away at Leicester. They've beaten Chelsea and Villa both at home, but were held at St. James's Park on New Year's Eve by Leeds United. And I don't think many people saw that coming. Season so far, Arsenal sit top. Newcastle are in third. The Gunners have won 14 of their games so far this season. Newcastle have won nine. They've drawn seven. They are real draw specialists to Newcastle United, but Arsenal are not. We've only drawn the once. Average goals scored per match. The Gunners at 2.5 at the moment. Newcastle United 1.88. But they do, on average, concede less goals than us. They've conceded just 0.65 of a goal on average per game. We're at 0.88. They've managed to keep nine clean sheets in comparison to our seven. Uh, their biggest win of the season, of course, came um, in the uh, 5-1 uh, home match against uh, Brentford. Our biggest win was a 5-0 win at home over Nottingham Forest. Their worst defeat was a 2-1 at Liverpool. That's not bad, is it? That's not bad at all. And that tells you how difficult this side are to beat and how difficult this side are to break down. So, as I say... Um, my my prediction is a 3-1 Arsenal win. I think we have enough firepower, but I don't expect us to keep them completely and utterly quiet. And I think we've got to be mindful and wary of the threat that they pose and, and potentially take some slightly different steps to try and nullify those things. Look, I'm not saying rip up what we're doing, throw it in the bin and ignore it and ignore what we normally do because I'm so fearful of Newcastle. What I'm saying is be aware of the additional threat that they have in some of those positions because they've got some really good and talented players. Okay, we're going to take a very, very short pause and then we're going to be back with some transfer talk. Transfer talk on a preview show, I hear you say. Yes, uh, because um, obviously today, the day before the game, it was always going to be the preview show. But there is some transfer stuff that I think we should be talking about, especially given that we're in the window now. Uh, lots of reports doing the rounds with regards to Mudrik. Uh, with regards to Saka, with regards to Joao Felix. And we'll get into all of that in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, part two of our Newcastle United slash... Uh, no, let me let me say that again. Our Newcastle United preview slash transfer talk show. Uh, we've got lots and lots to get into and we've got lots to bring you up to speed with. Uh, don't forget, just quickly, um, to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. There's uh, around about 250 of you with us right now on the multiple platforms, but we've only got 54 likes on the board. That is not good enough. So please do hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. I also... I uh, want to say a massive, massive thank you to those of you that listen via the audio platforms because I had a little glance earlier today and the Chronicles of Aguna has moved up to 28th in the Apple podcast charts uh, for our category, which is, of course, soccer, football, but soccer on Apple podcasts. Uh, but to be in the top 30 is is unbelievable when you think that so many of uh, of our people watch this on YouTube as opposed to 
uh, as opposed to listening to it on the podcast platforms. It is, yeah, it's just amazing to see. I, I can't believe that we're sitting in that place, like in that position in the chart. When I started this thing, you know, I was happy with 50, 50 downloads an episode. And now, you know, we're talking thousands and, and to be where we are is, yeah, it's amazing. So uh, thank you for that, because that's always uh, that's all down to you guys. Really, really appreciate it. But I just want to take a quick opportunity as well to remind you that if you want access to our premium content, then please do subscribe to us on another slice. Uh, visit the website that is listed in the description, www.anotherslice.com slash Chronicles of Aguna. Create your account on the Another Slice platform, log in with that account, and then you can subscribe to our show. Uh, that way you'll get access to, of course, uh, some premium content, some additional content that you won't get on YouTube and you won't get on any other podcast platform. It is exclusive to another slice. You can download the app as well and you can access it that way. You'll have all of that exclusive premium content at your fingertips. The next piece of which is going to come to you tomorrow following uh, the Newcastle Arsenal game uh, from Emirates Stadium, where I'll be giving you guys my player ratings from the press box. So, yeah. If you're interested in that, please do it. If you are a YouTube member, I really, really appreciate it. Love your support. And, and I thank you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart. But we are moving those memberships eventually across to another slice only. So they won't be on YouTube. So if you want to start that process of cancelling this and, and signing up there, um, then please do. Because you want to get the content, right? You want to get the additional content. That's the whole point. I know some people have said, look, I don't care. I just want to support the show. And that's amazing. Uh, thank you so much. But I feel bad like that. You know, I want you to get an additional bang for your buck, essentially. That's why I want you guys to move over there um, to, uh, yeah, to to get the content. And, uh, and it's a much better platform in terms of offering premium stuff, which you will, uh, you'll see once you, once you get involved with it. Okay, um, right. Let's talk transfers. Let's start with uh, an internal bit of news first of all, because um, we told you a little bit, or a few days ago. I was going to say a little bit earlier on in the week, but that's because I'm getting absolutely confused with the days now. Always doing between the Christmas New Year period. Uh, we said to you guys a few days ago that Arsenal had opted to trigger the extra year option in William Saliba's contract, just to buy them a little bit more time in terms of the negotiations around a newer long-term deal, uh, which will obviously be of a much higher value. Well, it's now being reported that Arsenal have done exactly the same thing with Bukayo Saka, which suggests that the Gunners are still locked in contract negotiations, but want to make sure that they are protected and are doing that from the strongest possible position. So that's what's happened. Arsenal have now triggered and taken up a very similar option, this time with Bukayo Saka. That will keep him at the club at least until 2024, I think. Um, I think that's what it is. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just means that those conversations over a new long-term slash higher value deal can continue. And that same report says that progress is being made. So there is a confidence within Arsenal Football Club that Bakayo Saka will commit his long-term future to the Gunners. Okay, taking it on to Mikhailo Mudrik. We heard um, again a few days ago, can't remember exactly how many days ago, couldn't tell you exactly what day it was, but we heard that Arsenal had made a bid for the Shakhtar, the next man, that was worth around about 55 million euros in total, and that that bid was rejected. I beg your pardon, 55 million pounds, I think, uh, was rejected. Well, Arsenal have launched a second bid according to Ben Jacobs of CBS Sports. He says a new Mudrick bid has gone in 
The total package on offer remains under 70 million euros. Arsenal are optimistic that a deal can be done, though, at significantly less than the 100 million euro asking price Shakhtar have publicly spoken of. He then goes on to say that the structure of this deal is the key. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk want at least 55 million euros up front and that the personal terms um, have already been agreed. So there's a feeling now that if Arsenal can, um, if Arsenal can now get to the point where they're giving Shakhtar around about 55 million euros up front, Shakhtar are quite flexible with the rest. And, and that's the part of the structure that Shakhtar are really desperate for. That's at the top of their priority list in terms of what they want, uh, of course, from, from Arsenal for the player. Now, the player continues to flirt with the Gunners. He continues to post about the Arsenal on his Instagram. He continues to make no secret of the fact that he wants to move uh, over to uh, the UK and to London, North London specifically, but no breakthrough just yet. I'm sure we're going to hear what happens with this second offer over the coming days. You know, I'd love it to be wrapped up ASAP. The window is now open, so shit's got serious, basically. Let's try and get it done ASAP because we are just a couple of injuries away from being really bare up front. And I, look, I know you don't want Mudrick to come in and be relied upon from the off. Like I don't anyway. Like He's an incredible talent, and I'm sure, you know, coming into the team, it won't take him too long to... Um, you know, to get up to speed and, and to be able to have an impact. But you'd like him to come in and bed in and settle in with Martinelli, Saka, everybody fit. What you don't want is one of those two to go down and then our weakness is exposed. And then there is an incredible pressure on a player who's already going to be under pressure because of the, the sort of value of money we're talking about. Yeah, so I'd like him to come in sooner rather than later. I'd like him to come in while we're playing well. I'd like him to come in and, and bed in and learn the ropes while we are playing well. Uh, also, Arsenal, according to David Ornstein, remain interested in Joao Felix. So it does look like Arsenal are actively pursuing deals for both of these players. The Athletic piece also goes on to say that Mikel Arteta's biggest concern at the moment is around what happens in the event of an injury to Martinelli or Saka. And so he wants to bolster his attacking options as much as possible. And given it would be a relatively small amount of money given where Arsenal are and the fact that they really feel like they could push on now. Arsenal are open and considering uh, making that move for Joao Felix, but there is a problem here. The figures that Atletico Madrid are asking for are just ridiculous and are crazy. And it's not just Arsenal that think this. There is a, a an understanding that a lot of European suitors who have looked at the Joao Felix situation and feel as though he could be a good addition to their team, even on loan for the next six months, have been put off by Atletico Madrid's demands. What are these demands, I hear you say? Well, apparently, they're after a 15 million euro fee, and they're after 6 million in terms of wages for the six months. So they want to cover his wages. They want to cover his salary so that it frees them up to go and do something else uh, in the window and something else to kind of help them fill the void that he will inevitably leave. But according to David Ornstein, Arsenal will not do a deal at this amount. You know, and Arsenal are not the only ones. Manchester United are in there, are, you know, assessing what's going on, are considering a move for the player themselves. Obviously, they lost Cristiano Ronaldo, didn't they, uh, during the, uh, well, 
during the, the December period when his contract was terminated and uh, he was moved on. But yeah, look, I just think um, I just think that as much as I like Joao Felix, I'm not big on the idea of of dropping 21 million euros on a on a loan. What Arsenal believe this to be, according again to that piece in the Athletic, is a is a bit of a Martin Odegaard type opportunity. Top player, real talent, someone who undoubtedly has what it takes to go to the highest level, but hasn't got there yet. And not because he's not any good, but just because the environment he's in is not one that really works for him. I said this to you guys a few uh, weeks ago, uh, a few days ago, I beg your pardon. I felt that this was like that. This was a Martin Odegaard type thing. And to then read that in the Athletics piece kind of backs up my point a little bit, doesn't it? That actually Arsenal are prepared to look at players that they feel have not quite fulfilled their potential. But, you know, maybe that's not entirely down to them and feel as though if they can get those players in, in, uh, you know, for reasonable amounts of money, they could potentially turn them into world beaters. I mean, look at Martin Odegaard. We, we paid a very small fee to bring him in. Um, not sure off the top of my head how much of his wages we covered, but his wages weren't anywhere near what Joao Felix's um, are currently. So that's that's one thing. We brought him in. We had a good look at him up close. He helped the team in that interim period. And then when the summer came along and Arsenal were totally convinced about him, they decided to go back to Real Madrid and thrashed out a deal that saw him join us, become our captain, and probably develop into our most important player right now. That's That's how highly... I regard Martin Odegaard. Well, the same could happen with Joao Felix, but given the risk that is associated, given that you could bring him in and then be priced out of a permanent move, I think Arsenal want to make sure that the fee is something that represents the risk that they're about to take. Arsenal, as I say, not the only ones in for him. So he might not even choose Arsenal. But, you know, it's it's something that Arsenal are close to. It's something that Arsenal are watching. It's something that Arsenal are keeping a clean, uh, a clear eye on. And... Um, and yeah, let's um, let's see what happens there. But that's kind of the latest transfer talk when it comes to Arsenal. So Saka's uh, one-year option on his contract has been triggered by the club in order to protect themselves that little bit further whilst they go through uh, further negotiations around his longer-term slash higher-value deal that they're desperately trying to get him to sign. Uh, a second bid has gone in, according to reports from Mikhailo. Mikhailo, there you go, uh, Mudrik. Um, the total package remains under 70 million euros. Arsenal, optimistic a deal can be done at significantly less than the 100 million euro asking price. Uh, and the structure here is the key with Shakhtar seemingly wanting around about 55 million euros up front. Personal terms, not an issue whatsoever, according to Ben Jacobs of CBS Sports. Those have already been agreed. And finally, according to the Athletic, Arsenal remain interested in the Portuguese star Joao Felix but would require Atletico Madrid to significantly lower their demands for a loan deal uh, to progress uh, any further. So, um, yeah, let's see. Let's see where we end up. Guys, thank you so, so much uh, for tuning in. Really, really do appreciate it. It's been great to uh, speak to you guys as always. Uh, don't forget, subscribe. Don't forget to like. Uh, we still haven't hit 100 likes yet. What on earth is going on? Come on, guys. Like, like, like. It doesn't, um, it doesn't cost a thing. It really doesn't. Uh, also, if you fancy uh, signing up for some of our premium content, you can over on the Another Slice platform. The instructions are down below in the description. If you have any problems, feel free to email me. The email address is chroniclesafc at gmail.com. Get in touch. I will respond and uh, we can make that happen. 
But yeah, other than that, there's not really much else to say, is there? I don't know if I'll be back tomorrow because um, I'm going to be at the Emirates Stadium tomorrow night covering the game. Um, I'll definitely do my post-match uh, player ratings for our premium uh, listeners and members. We'll probably we'll do the full match review podcast the following morning. That's what we're going to be doing from now on because I'm at all the games now. So it's becoming really difficult for me to get home at like ungodly hours and do podcasts. You know, like I got home on New Year's Eve at 10.30 from Brighton. I'm not going to sit down on New Year's Eve at 10.30 with all due respect and record a podcast. Sometimes I don't get home from the Emirates Stadium, especially when I'm working on the game until, I don't know, 11 11 30 sometimes even later so yeah we're gonna we're gonna do the post-match full shows the morning after from now on that way we can keep it consistent the post-match player ratings will be out that night after every game for our premium listeners on the another slice platform and uh yeah that's how we're going to continue uh we'll bring you some transfer talk tomorrow if there is any updates if there is anything different doing the rounds in the arsenal twitter sphere and everywhere else uh but if there isn't then I guess I will speak to you guys after Arsenal beat Newcastle by three goals to one at Emirates Stadium. Fingers crossed. Right. I'll catch you all soon. Have a great evening. All the best. Goodbye and take care of yourselves. See ya. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.